Uh, I want to show you a picture this morning. I came across this on the internet, and immediately my thoughts were, there's a Christian church somewhere that's going to have a big celebration, fellowship meal, and that's a lot of chicken in there. And, you know, we like to think, you know, it's great to be part of the church. The fellowship meals are great. We have a good time. But it's not always a bed of roses being in the church. You know, we like to think, you know, everything's good. Yeah, nothing's wrong. But sometimes things go wrong. Uh, sometimes there are even fights. I wouldn't want to be part of this church. Uh, you know, it looks like they're having a knockdown drag out in the sanctuary. Uh, but uh, sometimes things go wrong. And it's not always from within the church. But a lot of times it is. One preacher said, uh, was asked by a lady, she said, how's your church doing? How many active members do you have? He said, lady, I have a hundred active members. She said, well, that speaks highly of you and your church. He said, yeah, 50 are actively for me and 50 are actively against me. But you know, sometimes the opposition comes from the outside. And such is the case as we're going to see today as we look at the early church and what happened in the book of Acts. You know, when there's an opportunity, Satan is going to rear his ugly head. And the devil is going to jump in. And the devil is going to try to bring the church down. Uh, and, you know, it's a constant battle to fight to, to keep Satan from winning. I thank God for the words of Jesus, though. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not stand against it. I've read the end of the book, and we win. And so Satan loses, and we have to hold firm to those words, even though there are going to be difficult times we face even in the church. So today we're going to continue our series called uh, The Church is Born, and we're studying through the book of Acts. Now we're not going to look at every verse. Uh, we looked at several verses, several sections in the first two chapters of Acts last week. Uh, today we're going to look at chapters 3 and chapter 4. And we're going to think about the opposition that the church faced. Last week we saw how the church grew and, and how it began. And, but it wasn't long till they had to face opposition. Mostly from outside people uh, looking in to the church. And we're going to raise a question today. How did the early church respond to the opposition? Now, as we learned last week, the church, you know, when Jesus left, there were about 120 believers. But very quickly, the Holy Spirit came on the apostles. They began to go out into the streets of Jerusalem, teach the people about Jesus and Him resurrected, and people believed. And about 3,000 people were baptized. The church grew very fast, very quickly. And they began to, to, to do some things. They began to worship together. And they began to grow spiritually. And, and they served one another. And they gave generously. And they lived faithfully in the community. And that church began to flourish and grow. And through the ages, it has expanded to what we have today. But we're going to think about that opposition 
that they had to face. So I'd like you to turn today to Acts chapters 3 and chapter 4. We'll begin there in chapter 3. Now, you know, the early church was seen as just a part of Judaism, as a sect of Judaism. Uh, even though they believed different from Judaism, uh, they weren't no longer under the law of Moses, but the apostles kept some of the rituals and the tradition of the early church that were some good things. One thing they did, uh, the Jews had three prayer times every day. And most of the Jews that lived close to the temple would come to the temple at those times to pray every day. At 9 o'clock they had a prayer time, at 3 o'clock, and then at sundown they had a prayer time. And they would gather together and pray uh, to the Lord God. That's not a bad thing. Uh, another thing is there were a lot of beggars in that day. Remember, they didn't have Social Security. They didn't have uh, Medicare or Medicaid. And if you were disabled, they didn't have disability insurance. And so disabled people often came to the temple. They had family members or someone leave them at the temple where they could beg. And the Jews were good to give what is called alms, gifts to the poor. And so this is the case as we see today as as these apostles are arriving at the temple and they come in contact with this beggar who's looking for them to give some money. He's laid at a place called the Beautiful Gate. And we pick up the story here in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. First Peter yells at him and says, Look at us. And verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. The first thing I want us to think about today is Peter healed a lame man in the name of Jesus. Now, you know, some people think that this particular gate where they were at is called the Nicanor Gate, or it's, it's, uh, it's sometimes called the Corinthian Gate. It was a wooden gate overlaid with Corinthian bronze, and it had uh, some gold and silver ornaments on it. And one of the things it had was a... a, a sculpture of a grapevine on the doors to that gate. This gate went from the court of, of uh, women where anybody could go, uh, or, or excuse me, the court of the Gentiles where anybody could go into the court of women. It was a highly popular gate to get in to the temple main inside of the temple complex. And so Peter and John come in contact with this guy. Uh, this gate had huge doors, some 40 feet high. The whole gate was 50 feet high. The sun would shine on it and hit that silver and that gold, thus the name Beautiful. It was sort of a, a nickname for that gate. This beggar was laying there, and it was the practice of, uh, of the Jews to give alms to the poor. They called them alms, and that was a gift. Back in Deuteronomy 15 11, God said to his people, There will always be poor people in your land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So, 
Peter must have been there uh, when this guy was shaking his cup, looking for a gift, and Peter might have pointed to that gate, silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man got up and walked. He was healed. The people of Jerusalem recognized what was going on. There were people all around. And then they picked him up and they walked with him, him jumping and praising God. I can imagine I would have been doing the same thing. And they took him inside that gate into the temple. This court of women where they went is a place where only Jewish men and women could go. So this guy was probably a Jew. Uh, and he had been healed in the name of Jesus. The text goes on to tell us that People ran from everywhere. Word spread fast. And they came to see this man who had been healed. If you look down a little further in Acts chapter 3, there to verse 12, of course it tells us people were running from everywhere. Then verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can see. So next I want you to think about this. The Jews listened as Peter credited Jesus with this healing. You know, the healing of this man is the what of the story. What happened? But the why, that's what I want us to think about. That's what I want us to look into. Of course, God loved the man. God had decided the man needed to be healed and he was going to heal him. He also wanted this man to come to faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And this is a way for that man to do it. He heard the name of Jesus spoken over him. And I'm quite sure he came to believe in the healing power of Jesus. But God also wanted the rest of the people to see the power of the name of Jesus. He wanted to see that this Jesus was not just some made-up, fictitious character. He wanted the leaders in Jerusalem to see. And he had, had uh, Peter... Uh, talking to the people and telling them what was happening. Now, they ended up at this place called the Solomon's Porch. It was a Solomon's Portico. It was a, like a large porch on the inside of the wall that ran along the wall. I guess it was sort of a place where if it rained that day, you could get in out of the rain and stand on this porch. Uh, anyway, it was on the wall that went around the temple. And this is where they gathered. And people still coming and begin to gather there. And again, Peter says, look, this, 
this Jesus whom you crucified, it's in his name and through faith in him that this man was healed. Peter points out it's something very important here. Peter says it's not by our power or our godliness that he's healed. You know, you think about the Jews, especially the Jewish leaders. They took great pride in their power and their, their, um, their godliness. You know, they, they had this moral prowess about them that they walked around as though they were above everybody else and they were closer to God than other people. They took great pride in the fact that they kept the religious ritual and laws, many of which they had made up their self to make themselves look holy. And they carefully followed the way of Moses and, and used ritualistic worship to make themselves look holy. Peter points out, look, these things, your power, uh, your godliness, that's not what brought healing to this man. This man was healed by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice here in the text, he calls Jesus by five different names. Calls him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Calls him the servant Jesus. He calls him the Holy One, the Righteous One. Calls him the author of life. This is the Jesus that Peter's preaching to these people. And he says, through the name, through faith in the name of this Jesus, this man stands healed. What does it mean to speak in the name of somebody? That means you're speaking in the power of that person. You're speaking in the authority of that person. Peter was here on behalf of Jesus, preaching in his authority and his power, and the man got healed. Now, Peter goes on to say to these people, look, you crucified Jesus, and I know that you were somewhat ignorant to who he was, but now look, you see a man healed in his name. This gives the validity to who Jesus is, that he is the Lord, that he is the Savior, that he is God in the flesh, and you need to repent. You need to turn from your evil ways. Accept Jesus as your Messiah, your Lord and the Savior. He's the one, he says, that the Scriptures point to. And the Scriptures had told them that there would be a prophet one day risen up. He would be their Messiah. He would be like Moses of old. And he would come and save the people. And they even quoted from, from uh, Genesis where it talks about uh, Abraham, that all people would be blessed through Abraham and that Jesus is from Abraham's seed. Now we get into chapter 4 and this created a great excitement. Many people were running to see this man healed. You know, he laid at that gate every day and everybody in Jerusalem knew who he was. And now he's up praising God and jumping around, healed. The Roman officials got word and they came to see what the excitement was. They never liked it when somebody was preaching uh, that somebody was a Messiah because that word meant anointed one. It meant king. They had no king but Caesar, so they didn't like what the apostles were saying. The Jewish leaders didn't like it because he was calling Jesus God, 
And of course, they saw that as blasphemy. And so they arrested Peter and John. There in verse 4, it says, but you know what happened? Many people heard the message. And the number of believers soared to 5,000. But look at what happened. Chapter 4, verse 5. The next day, the rulers and elders and the teacher of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how was he healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected. He has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which he must be saved. So thirdly here, I want you to think about the fact that Peter and John faced questions from the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin was the ruling council of the Jews. The high priest was over the Sanhedrin. And here they had Annas and Caiaphas. Now, Annas had formerly been the high priest, but the Romans didn't really like Annas, so they made Caiaphas high priest. But the Jewish people still recognized Annas as their high priest. But both of them were there. In fact, uh, Caiaphas was his son-in-law. Annas had five sons who also at one time or another had become high priest. This is the powerful family of the Jews. And they're overseeing these proceedings as John and Peter have been thrown in jail. You know what always puzzled me? There's little concern for the man who got healed. You know, these great religious leaders, they're not praising God for what God has done. It was obvious that God had healed this man. They're not praising God. You think about how his life was changed. He'd been laying every day. Later on, we're going to learn 40 years he's been coming to this temple to beg and get funds so he can live his life. What quality of life is that? And here he's healed, and they don't think anything about them. They're concerned that maybe they're going to lose some of their power. Peter reminds them, look, it's not my power. It's by the power of of the name of Jesus that his healing was performed. Peter speaks again. He says, you know, we just showed kindness to a man. But I want to make sure you understand, it's not our power. It's Jesus' power that brought this healing to this man. It was hard for them to argue. Here's the man standing there. Everybody knew him. And he's healed. In fact, he's jumping around praising God. And the leaders had to take a step back because all the people know what's going on. 
All the people of Jerusalem also knew that the hand of God had been involved in this. It goes on to say, the Jewish leaders saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. But they took note that they had been with Jesus. You understand, they recognized that these men got their power from Jesus. They weren't taught by one of their rabbinical schools. They were taught by Jesus. And they are now able to go into the streets and perform miraculous signs. Well, they don't know what to do, the leaders. So they dismissed Peter and John for a few minutes. Since the healed man was standing there, there wasn't much they could do. They had to backpedal a little bit and figure it out. The leaders admitted that the man had been healed. Everybody in Jerusalem knew that. They called Peter and John back in. And here's what they decided, verse 18, chapter 4. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Lastly, I want you to see, despite the warning not to speak in Jesus' name, the apostles followed God's command. You know, I, I want you to think about something all throughout this. The apostles were not rude. They were not arrogant. They were not disrespectful. They were not combative, even though their integrity was being challenged. But what they were is truthful and biblical and loving and caring and courageous. They spoke boldly about Jesus. You know, last week we learned in chapters 1 and 2 about a pattern of the early church, that they worshiped together, that they grew spiritually, that they served uh, humbly, that they gave generously and cheerfully, and that they lived faithfully. We saw that pattern in Acts chapter 42 through 47. I want you to see a pattern today. And you're going to see this throughout the book of Acts. That the apostles and the followers of Jesus were courageous and they were bold to speak the word of God in its truth to the people. You know, we live in a culture today that so much needs the word of God spoken out courageously and boldly into this culture. This culture we live in is so full of sin. And we are not exempt. We need to strive to live the holy and godly lives as much as we can. Uh, sin has become the worst disease of our era. And it continues to go. We are addicted to it. And I'm not talking about just drugs and alcohol. We are addicted to material things. And we are addicted so far that it causes greed and it causes financial slavery and we are addicted to sexual immorality 
And these things are ruining our families. But the church needs to stand strong. And we need to be the example. And I want to tell you, Satan's involved. He's promoting sin at every opportunity he gets. He's even trying to bring it into our elementary schools and our preschools and our culture today. He's trying to indoctrinate our kids against the morals that we as a church stand for. And we need to stand strong. You just think about some of the gender issues that our kids are having to deal with today. It's crazy at what's going on. You remember the popular cartoon, Veggie Tales? Uh, still popular today. Bob the Tomato and Larry the Cucumber were the stars of the show. And what they did was they took a biblical story and they acted it out and these cartoon characters would tell the story and show the kid how biblical values were good for their lives. Well, some years ago, we were happy. Uh, NBC decided to air VeggieTales as part of their Saturday morning cartoon lineup. But what NBC also decided to do was take all references to God out of it and all Scripture out of it. Now, there was a great controversy about that. It's interesting, NBC said, you know, we don't want to promote this religion. But then I turn on my TV this month, and what is NBC promoting? Pride Month, LGBTQ. So why do they take uh, one group's ideas and push those and take another group's ideas and say, no, we can't promote that? You know, recently we've seen what happened to some organizations. Finally, some people in America are starting to stand up for our values. They boycotted Target stores because of their promotion of some, especially stuff that was targeting our young kids. We've got to stand firm. We've got to stand firm in the truth. Just like Peter and John stood firm in the face of this powerful family that could have had them put in jail, could have had them beheaded. And we've got to take the Bible and God's Word out to the world I want you to listen to the prayer that they prayed, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Do you get that? Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they played, prayed the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly you see they took the word of God to the people and our connection today is when the church faces opposition from the world it must pray and speak the word of God boldly in the name of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit that's what we got to do. Now listen to me. Boldness doesn't mean unloving. Boldness doesn't mean we're unloving. We first and foremost have to carry the love of God with us when we go out into the world. But we also have to carry the truth of God in love. And we have to do more than speak it. We have to demonstrate it in the lives that we live 
as we go into the community. You know, I, some of you may have seen my little basket up here and these little fake rubber golf balls have the word truth written on them. And we need to take the truth of God out in the community. But we don't take these and throw them like darts. Okay? They're not to be thrown at people. They're, they're not to be like daggers. You know the way to get the truth of God out to people? Is to carry this truth in your pocket. Carry it in your mind with you. And when you go out into the world, you walk up to somebody and you say, you know, I think you believe this way. I believe this way. Let me tell you about my truth. God's truth. Hey, why don't you take a little bit of this truth? Why don't you take a little bit of this truth? Why don't you take a little bit of this truth? And we need to be gentle and loving and show people the love of God and demonstrate it as we go about our lives. That's what Peter and John did. They took the truth of God to a people, and they brought healing to people of the nation of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for your many blessings that you send our way. We know we live in crazy times, Lord. There's so many things going on in our culture. So many things that, you know, your word says, uh, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. Lord, we want to make sure that we're on the right side of good and evil, that we're following your word and your pattern, and that we're trying to live it, Lord. We know we'll fall short, but we have your forgiveness and your guidance to help us. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to take this truth this message of Jesus and bring healing to the sin in the lives of so many who are infected with it that they might come to know Jesus and turn and be healed and we lift it all up to you in the strong and mighty name of Jesus we pray and praise today Amen